right. Everybody doing good? Good, good, good. Good, good. We'll go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Last week we looked at verse 1. This week we're mostly going to look at verse 2. Ephesians 4. I'm going to read from 1 through 3 this morning. So let's stand together as we read. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Father, we are um, incapable of any of this without you. And so, God, I praise you for Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and Ephesians chapter 3. It gives us truth about our place with you. It gives us hope for walking in a manner that's worthy of you. We praise you for that and ask that you would help us in this time. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, last week we talked about verse 1 where Paul says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We talked about how uh, this verse is the turning point in the whole book of Ephesians. As we've worked through chapters 1 and chapter, chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, we get here to chapter 4 and this is the turning point. This is where we turn the corner and we go from our position in Christ to practically living that out. What does that look like? How do we then live? Because of the truthfulness of chapter 1, 2, and 3, because of our position in Christ, because of the doctrines, the beautiful, wonderful truths that we learn in chapters 1, 2, and 3, then do this, is what Paul says. And so this is kind of the turning point where that happens, where we go from our position in Christ and we talk about practice and, and what that looks like. And just as a reminder... The doctrine that we learned in in chapters 1, 2, and 3, the doctrine is what enables us for the doing. And that's what Paul says. That's why he lays it out here. That's why we talked about in Romans. He takes chapter 1, 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, and says there, therefore, because of those things, do this. It's only because of what God has done for us and in us that we are even possibly able to be obedient to him and to walk in this newness of life and to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And so Paul says that here. We talked about that last week. I want to I want to um, look really quick at one verse. Just read this verse to you and you can turn to it if you'd like. Just go to the right in your Bible to first Peter. I think it gives us a good picture of of in a very small one verse context of what um, we see here in the whole book of Ephesians, where we have this doctrine which uh, calls us to obedience. But in First Peter chapter one, verse 
Verse 2 says, it's Peter writing, okay, so just to give us the, the, the picture here, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according, now here's verse 2, listen, okay, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, okay? So according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, that's, that's stuff that we learn in Ephesians, God saved us by His own plan, okay? And it's his doing. He did it. We were dead. He raised us to life. God did it. In the sanctification, the working out of the Holy Spirit. That's him working in us to produce in us the likeness of his son. But that next part says for obedience. So God did all of this work in us for us. But we're called to obey him and to live that out. And so really what we're what we're talking about here is we make this turn in Ephesians four is I must become in practice what I already am in position. I must become in practice what I already am in position. I'm positioned with Christ. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm righteous. You see that throughout the New Testament, right? Where, where, where we know that in Christ, we've been credited with the righteousness of Christ if we're in Christ. If we're saved, Scripture tells us that when, when we, we came to know Christ, that into our account, we were credited with Christ's righteousness. But what are we called to do? Live righteous. Live and become that righteousness that we are. We're holy. If we're in Christ, we're holy. We're set apart to and for the Lord. But what are we called to do? We're called to be holy. God says, be holy as I am holy. We, we, we're called to become what we already are. And so as we make this turn and, and, and as we look through chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, we want to keep in focus chapter one, two and three. And really chapters one through three are going to be the lenses that we look through as we talk about chapters four, five and six. We are not going to step away from those chapters. As we talk about each verse through chapter four, five and six, we're going to hold tightly to the truths of chapters one, two and three, because we cannot we are we will not we cannot possibly think that we can accomplish what chapters four five and six say without believing and knowing chapters one two and three so we're going to keep that really close to us so i must become in practice what i already am in position colossians 129 i love this verse where paul says for this i toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me that's the picture here is I'm toiling, I'm struggling, I'm working, but all of this working, all this toiling, all this that I'm doing is just because of the, His energy that He's given me. It's like in chapter 1, where we look back, at, if you look back at chapter 1 in verse 19, that, that Paul prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. The same power that, that worked to raise Christ from the dead. And we have the spirit inside of us. And so we, we, we have to continue to think and read over and, and think through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 as we look into Ephesians 4. So let's look again um, at those verses that we read just a minute ago, Ephesians 4. Paul says at the beginning, I, therefore, because of the truths of 
chapters 1, 2, and 3, because of our position in Christ, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he begins to give us a, a little bit of a description of that walk. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. With all humility. Now, that, that word humility means this. Holman's Dictionary says it this way. Humility is the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth. Having an accurate estimate of one's worth. I think that's a, that's a great definition and helps us kind of continue to see through our lenses of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Humility is having an accurate estimate of one's worth. It's having an accurate estimate of one's worth. We might think, isn't that pride? If I'm thinking about my own worth, isn't that pride? No, pride is having an inaccurate estimate of your worth. Humility is having an accurate estimate. Understanding in relation to chapters 1, 2, and 3 who I really am. It's having an accurate. It's, it's when we see ourselves in light of God and then gain a good, accurate, humble perspective of ourselves and it's not this it's not it's not the um this boo-hooing that you see in people where they're just down on themselves in church and 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 to, to look humble to look humble you know i'm just not very good and i just it's not me it's just not me it's just it's i'm just not i don't do anything very well as if someone's around the corner saying that guy is pretty humble, right? It's not that. And it's not this, okay? And this is more personal. It's, it's, it's not where, where you come up to someone after the service and say, hey, good job. Well, praise the Lord. You did that, but you thought it was good? I mean, you thought it was good? And we just attached that. Well, praise the Lord. It's not me. It's the Lord. It's praise the Lord. It's not that. It's a true inner humility. It's an accurate estimate of who you are and who God is. It's seeing God as he really is. It's looking through Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 and saying, I didn't do that. I couldn't do that. God did that. Humility results from a right response to the therefore at the beginning of chapter 4. I therefore, looking back at chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's a right response to the therefore. It's a right response to all that God has done. It was God who called me. So how could I be proud? It was God who blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing. I I didn't do that. I couldn't do that. It was God who chose me. How could I boast? It was for the praise of his glorious grace. Not, Not mine. Not for the praise of my grace. It's not for the praise of Tony that I'm saved. God did that. God's the giver. I was the corpse in chapter 2, and he's the life giver. I was the recipient of life. He's the one who gave mercy and love and grace. I, I didn't do that. And so I stand before God, and I'm, I'm humbled as I look at him. The result of believing the, the truths of chapters 1, 2, and 3 is, is humility. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, 
count others more significant than yourselves. That's tough to do, right? Even when I want to do that, sometimes I do it for the wrong reasons. Even when I want to obey the Lord and count others as more worthy than me, I have a motive, which is me. But, but God says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, in humility, realizing, realizing your position and God's position. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. First Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is, this is a, a, a huge picture. We're going to talk a lot as we go through chapter 4 of, of taking off and putting on. Putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on. We're going to talk a lot about that. And we get this picture here in First Peter with humility where, where he says, clothe yourselves, put on humility. All of you, put on humility. Think of others as more significant than yourselves. Why? Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? You read a verse like that, we should sit up in our seats, right? God opposes the proud and I'm proud. We talked about pride a month or two ago. And and one of the things that that I mentioned in that that sermon was it's not where or, or it's not if you're proud, it's where are you proud? It's not whether I'm proud. It's where am I proud? Where do I struggle with pride? We all struggle with pride in different ways. But, but Scripture says that God opposes the proud. And so I read that, I sit up in my seat, and number one, I want to know where am I struggling with pride? But two, I want to know what does that mean that God opposes me? God opposes the proud. Just picture this with me, okay? Imagine that Jesus is standing here right now, okay? Just imagine that you look up on this platform and I'm out there, or I'm over there, or whatever, and Jesus is right here. All of his glory, Jesus is here. And one day, right? One day, that's going to be the case. We get to see Jesus in all of his glory. But just imagine with me, okay? That Jesus, you're, 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 you are with this crowd and, and you're gazing at Jesus, okay? And you're just taking that in, all of his holiness and his majesty and his greatness, Now imagine me running up and jumping up and just saying, ta-da! I mean, it's ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. It's comical, but it's ridiculous. We do it all the time. That's what pride is. That's what pride is. It's this mentality, whether I intentionally do it or not, it's this mentality of saying, I deserve what is only yours, God. Worth, praise, attention, adoration. I deserve that. And I'm going to take what belongs to you. I want to take what belongs to you, I should say. That's what pride is. God doesn't like that. God doesn't like even in my thoughts or my intentions or my talking or whatever when my heart really is, God, I, I want this attention. I don't want it to go to you. I want it to go to me. That's pride. 
And God says in Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. And so when I'm proud and when I'm seeking glory that's only due God, God opposes me. God opposes me. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now this, the whole idea of humility, and, 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 and I don't want you to get this idea, we'll talk about this later too, but that we, we read these words and, okay, I've got to be more humble. Check, I'm going to try to be more humble. I'm going to try to be more humble. I'm going to try to... This is a lifelong journey for humility. I won't be, what's this wording here? With all humility, right? Walking a man are worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility. I'm not going to reach that all humility until I see Jesus. Then I'll be humble. Then I'll be humble. Because even if someone considers you humble, even if someone looks at you and, and thinks, man, that, that person, and, and, and maybe, maybe you are, maybe you have qualities of humility, and that's, you, sh- you should. But maybe you have qualities of humility and people see that. You're not done. Be humbler. <laughs> because when you think of humility in light of the justice and mercy of God, there's, there's, there's more humility to be found. I mean, true humility ought to wake up, and, and maybe not just wake up and say daily, but maybe hourly. You didn't kill me. God, you didn't kill me last night. Thank you. I, I deserve to be killed. I don't deserve to live. I don't. I know you're holy. I know you're righteous. I know you're, you're set apart in all of your ways. I deserve to be killed because I know you know my thoughts. You know, you know what I thought last night. You know what I thought yesterday. You know what I thought five minutes ago. You know what I thought, and you didn't kill me. I don't deserve the life-sustaining mercy that you continually give to me. I don't deserve that, so thank you. And humility really just keeps just realizing, 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 realizing that God has all authority, and, and we don't. Here's the thing. We don't, we don't seek humility necessarily. We seek God we seek the face of God. And, and, and as we see more of him, humility happens. And, and, and here's what I mean. Think about Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Isaiah was a righteous person. He was a prophet of God. A righteous man. And he sees God in Isaiah 6. And, and his response to seeing God is, woe is me. Now, that word woe was reserved, a word that prophets would use to people that God was going to judge. And he says it about himself, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have, or, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's humility. John, in, 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 in Revelation chapter 1, where he turns and sees Christ in his glorified state, and it says, I... When I saw him, I fell on my face as a dead man. That's humility. That's seeing God and realizing I'm nothing. I'm nothing. 
just walk in all humility. I'm going to humbly ask that someone check and see if the AC has been turned on. So I think it's 190 in here right now. I'm not sure. Is it? Or is it me? It's stuffy. I'm stuffy? No. Oh, okay. Misunderstood. Thank you so much. All the girls are like, man, that's the best service we've ever had in here. Nice and warm. With all humility, he goes on and says, and gentleness. Gentleness. Humility will lead us to more gentleness. It will lead us to be more gentle with people. Galatians 5.23 tells us that gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, if you're a follower of Christ, if, if chapter 1 of Ephesians is true of you, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're saved, if, if God has, has chapter 2 of Ephesians, if you were dead in your trespasses of sin and God raised you in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. And what Galatians 5.23 says is if we have the Spirit, we ought to be gentle. And we ought to be becoming more gentle. Galatians 6.1. If you turn back a page in your Bible... Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. We're going to talk about unity um, mostly next week and, and following that. We're going to talk about unity in the body. And, and what Paul's saying is, is that gentleness goes a long way to keep that unity that we're supposed to have in the body of Christ. Because, yeah, we're called, we're called as, as to love our, our brothers and sisters. And if we see someone who's struggling in sin, I'm called to come up and, 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 and walk and help carry that person's burden and confront the sin. But he says, do that in gentleness. And he talks about humility there, too. He says, uh, do it in a spirit, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. That's humility, lest you too be tempted. But as we, as we interact as the body of Christ, we ought to be gentle with each other. And humility helps us to do that. Humility helps me as I, as I look at, at a brother or sister who's hurting and struggling and sinning, and we all do. When I see a brother or sister who's hurting and struggling and, 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 and sinning, it keeps me from pride that, that looks down on that person. But in gentleness, I can go and, and confront and walk with them. It says, be gentle. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. The leaders in the church ought to be those who are gentle in their dealings with others. And we as the body of Christ ought to be gentle in how we deal with not just those in the body. We ought to be characterized by gentleness, meekness. That's what we see in Jesus, right? That's what we see in our Savior. Hodge says it this way. He says, meekness, which is gentleness, okay, is that unresisting, 
I love this, all right? That unresisting, uncomplaining disposition of mind, which enables us to bear without irritation or resentment the faults and injuries of others. It is the disposition of which the lamb, dumb before the shearers, is the symbol, and which was one of the most wonderful of all the virtues of the Son of God. Meekness, that unresisting, uncomplaining disposition of mind, which enables us to bear without irritation or resentment the faults and injuries of others. How can, how can we do that? I mean, if, you, if, if we're honest, maybe, maybe all of you are thinking, how can I be that? How can I be, if that's what gentleness is, if that's what meekness is, that unresisting, uncomplaining disposition of mind, which enables me to bear without irritation or resentment the faults and injuries of others, how can I do that? That's hard. We, we do that by realizing who we are in Christ and all that he's accomplished for us. And we go over, we go over, we go over the truths of Ephesians 1 and we believe this is our position and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and he's empowered us by the Holy Spirit and that power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And so as I, as I deal with other people, I, I can be gentle with people because I realize how God has treated me. I'm so thankful for God's gentleness. I'm so thankful for the gentleness of Christ. And so as I think about Christ and all that I have in Christ. I can be gentle. But I need him. I need him to empower. And I I need him to enable me to do that. He goes on and he says. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience. Everybody good here, right? Just skip ahead. You're good with that, I think, already? Patience. This is one of the, the definitions that I, I came up with in one of the commentaries. I came across in one of the commentaries that I was reading. But patience is the suppression of anger. That's pretty simple, right? Let's move on. Right? Patience is the suppression of anger. Are you thankful for patience? I probably should get a really big... Yes, let me read this verse first, okay? And then I'll ask that again. Romans 2, 4 says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Aren't you thankful for God's patience? so grateful for God's patience. I'm so thankful for God's patience. I'm called to be patient. I'm called to be, as a follower of Christ, uh, an image bearer of Christ. I'm called to be patient so that people can see what Christ is like. I'm called to be patient. To supp- the suppression of anger. To be one who suppresses anger for the glory of God. Galatians 5.22 tells us that, that, that patience is a fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so some of you some of you may struggle with anger. That may be, that may be you know, what you would refer to, that's my cross to bear. 
right? That's what I struggle with mostly. That's what I deal with mostly. And, and maybe you've tried. I've tried to be more patient. I've tried to be more patient. I've tried to be more patient. I've tried, and I just can't. That's a lie. That's a lie. Keep trying. Keep going. Because of Christ, you can. He can through you. Because your, His Holy Spirit is in you. And He says a fruit of the Spirit as you walk more with me, as you abide more with in Christ, then the fruit of the Spirit is going to be working in you and cultivating in you. And part of that fruit is patience. Patience. Think about that. If you, if you struggle with patience, if you struggle with, with, with not having patience... Just think about that. I mean, think about that. And maybe you do. Maybe that's your daydream. Maybe you sit in your office. Maybe you sit in your cubicle and you're just like, oh, man, wouldn't it be nice to have patience? Maybe that's, I mean, maybe you just have that dream. But just think about that. That God says you have my Holy Spirit in you and a fruit of having my Holy Spirit in you is he'll cultivate patience in you. Just abide in me. Just abide in me. Just abide in me. Just abide in me. Just walk with me. Just remain in me. I'll cultivate that in you. I'll cultivate that in you. Wouldn't that be great? Be patient. Colossians 1.11, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The strength that we need to be patient comes, patient comes from God. Not from ourselves, not from... Just deciding that I'm going to do this. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to run out of here and I'm going to be more patient. And, and maybe it's, 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 it's setting up a plan to be with Jesus. Maybe it's going through and, 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 and realizing these are the things that, that cause me to not be patient. Jesus, I need your help. Maybe it's coming up with some boundaries. That doesn't mean like get rid of your kids, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, okay? It doesn't mean that. But there are things that can, that can cause those that are unnecessary. I need to be abiding in Christ to help me through those times. And, and maybe it's just making it a, a purposeful endeavor where it's just daily coming before. Maybe I just need to read through Ephesians. Maybe I need to read through Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit and just say, God, I need you today to be more patient. I need you today to be more gentle. I need you today to be more humble. I need you. First Corinthians 13, 4 says love is what? First thing, patient. Love is patient. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. And so if I'm called to love my neighbor as much as I love myself, and I'm called to be patient with them. And so Paul says, well, that's part of walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Be patient. Be patient. He goes on, he says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Now, as we get into this, just a picture. All of these are working together towards love. Humility produces gentleness, which helps us to be patient. And all of those working together are loving. I mean, if I'm, if I'm humble when I, when I come up and talk to Ryan and I'm gentle with him and, and I'm patient with him, that's love. That's love. I'm being loving to him. And that's the picture that we ought to have. We ought to be bearing with one another in 
this way. Do you know the people that are sitting around you are like jacked up big time? (laughs) Really bad. (laughs) I mean, like not joking bad. Do you know that? Like, and so are you. Messed up. And we're messed up people. We needed a savior. We needed Jesus to come. He came and we are we are trying to become what we already are. We're trying that. I mean we're we're fighting with everything and all the power that he gives in us. I hope you're fighting hard. I hope you're fighting hard for that. We're called to become what we already are. Just like everyone else in this room. We're all messed up. We all have issues. And maybe they're different. Maybe maybe the person you're sitting next to is struggling with pride. Maybe the person that you're sitting next to on the other side is is struggling with something else. And maybe maybe you know whatever. We're we're just we're messed up people. We're sinners. That's why we needed Jesus. I, I was at a conference this this last two days, and they kept talking about. Um, it was on biblical counseling, but they were talking about um, counseling. How if you if you talk to certain counselors, the thing that they'll tell you, if you ask them, well, just what's the condition of people? What do you think the condition of people is, basically? And most people tell you people are basically good. That's not true. I can give you five quick points to prove that that's not true. Alden, Leif, Sammy, Silas, and Judah. <laughs> I can prove it. And me. Kids don't come out and and act right all the time. They're not basically good people. We needed Jesus. We needed a Savior. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We needed God to send His Son to live a perfect life that we are incapable of living. And to have that perfect life unjustly slaughtered and killed on a cross as a sacrifice for the sins that he didn't commit, that we committed. We needed that. And because he did that, God in his mercy, in his rich mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. God did that. We didn't do that. We can't earn it. God did that. And we're sinners. And so as the body of Christ, we have to realize that, that, that you're just as messed up. The people around you are messed up maybe as much as you are. Maybe as much as you are. How do you want them to bear with you? How do you want them to deal with your issues? How do you want them to treat you with your problems? How do you want them to treat you? Bear with one another in love, Paul says. In love, bear with one another. Being willing to walk alongside and carry the burdens of those that we're walking alongside of. Let love persuade you to be forbearing towards each other. We're sinners. We need grace. It doesn't mean that you ignore sin. That's not not what that means. Love, love confronts sin. Love wants our brother and sister in Christ to be pointed towards Christ. We want them to be in fellowship with Christ. And so love would not ignore sin. But it would be gentle, be humble, it would be patient, and it would 
it would treat them the way that we want to be treated. So bear one another, bear with one another in love. Again, this all comes from, from chapters 1 through 3. We need to be enabled, and we have been enabled, and now we need to act like we've been enabled by Christ, in Christ. And, and let, me, let me just say, because, I mean, this is just the beginning. As we go through the rest of chapter 4, I mean, there's just stuff that we're going to talk through, and it's just wonderful, wonderful stuff, all right? But as we go through that, and as he talks about um, humility and gentleness and patience, and unity, and, and, and as he talks about um, corrupt talking, and, and, and lying, and, and slander, and, and how married couples ought to act together, and, and, and be together, and what marriage should look like, and what fathers, how you should act, and children, how you, as he goes through all of that, this is, this is not, this is not behavioral management. It's not. It's not something where, yeah, that would be a better way to live. So I'm just going to decide to do that. Here, okay. I need to be more humble. So I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to stand in front of my mirror. God tells me to be humble. You are humble, Tony. You are humble. You've got to be humble today. You look at you. You're the most humblest person. And I'm going to set out and I'm going to be humble. And if you, I'm going to tell you right now, it says to be humble. You're not going to be more humble than I am. I'm guaranteeing you right now. Okay. And if you think you're getting close to be as humble as I am, I'm gentle. (laughs) So you don't stand a chance. I'm going, I see here that I'm supposed to be humble. I've decided I'm going to be humble and I'm going to be the best humble person in this whole church. That's, that's just behavioral management. That's just deciding, I need to act this way. I need to be this way. I need to do. It's not empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not going back and seeing what Christ has done for us and gazing at Christ, gazing at the cross, gazing at God and saying, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy of me being and acting who I really am, humble and gentle and patient. You're worthy of that. I'm praying in my life, praying that God would make me a more loving person. It's just genuine love in my heart. That I could sit down with someone and genuinely, genuinely just care about what's going on in their heart more than anything. I I want that. I want that in my life. I can't decide to do that. I can't. I can't just turn on the switch and, and look, you're a pastor and... And, and people call you pastor. Look how loving you are now because you're called a pastor. It doesn't work that way. I, wanna, I want to love people the way that Jesus loved people. I need him for that. And so I'm going to him. And as I, as I read his word, I'm begging him. I'm begging him to change that in my heart. To make me more like Christ and how I love people. That my mind's not thinking about me and and what am I going to say? And what, what, what can I say here? And what can I interject in this? How can I be funny here? How can I do this? I just love people. Just love people. It doesn't come from me deciding, Tony, be more loving. It, it comes from, from Christ. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from me spending time with God and being in His Word and, and seeking Him to change me and, and make me what He's called me to be and made me. 
I've been blessed with Christ. I've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I've been given the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. If you struggle with not having joy, look at Jesus. Look what he's done. And know that you have the, the, the Holy Spirit in you, and, 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 and it wants to produce joy in you. And peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It wants to produce those things more and more and more and more in you. As, as we go through this, I just want to, I want to give you a picture, okay? And um, because as we go through this, this process, there's, there's an expectation. God has done for us everything that could possibly be done. There's nothing that I can do to work. I can't be so humble that I'll have a better place in heaven. I can't be so um, gentle that now I get to go to heaven. Or now it's guaranteed. Okay, okay, it wasn't clear. Now he's been gentle enough. He's been loving enough. He, it's taken care of. If I'm in Christ, it's taken care of. That's what everything in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is pointing us to. It's done. Christ did it. He accomplished it. God gave us it in his grace and mercy. Now be that. Now be that. My one of my um, jobs at the house is to to wake the kids up in the morning, and so um, I wake Alden up and and just to use you as an example, you do a great job with this, okay? So anything I say, it's thumbs up. All right, buddy. But I wake up Alden in the morning, and and here's what I expect: when I wake Alden up in the morning, I expect him to get up. Right? I'll come in, and I'll hug him, and I'll rub his back, and I'll wake him up, and I'll, all then, it's time to get up, buddy. It's time for school. And here's what I expect. He knows I expect this. I expect him not to lay back down and go to sleep. I don't want him doing that. There's things to be done. There's things he has to do. There's a purpose in me waking him up. There's a reason I get him up in the morning. It might be easier. It might feel a lot better for him to lay back down it probably would he'd probably love it but i i wake him up so that he'll get i have a purpose in it. i want him to get up i want him to take a shower i want him to get dressed i want him to come eat breakfast i want him to do this i want him to do this and this and get out the door with me on time to get to school on time so i expect that i wake him up for that god when he awakens us to just give us a picture of that okay but When he awakens us, he does it purposefully. And he credits us with the righteousness of Christ. I mean, he does everything for us. He dresses us. He clothes us. He showers us. He does all of it. I don't do that for Alden. He does it all. When he awakens us, he showers us. He clothes us. He does everything. But he does it purposefully. And he calls us to walk in the way of, in the manner in which we have in a manner worthy of which we have been called. He calls us to do that. And just like we said back in chapter 2, so many of us, he called us and showered us and clothed us and, and everything that, that needed to take place, everything that could possibly be done, and we laid back down. And we're just laying there and laying there and laying there he's called us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called and there is great worth in that unmeasurable worth are you walking that way are you walking in 
and, and, and by his power, by his power, because of what he's accomplished, seeking humility? Are you seeking gentleness? Are you seeking love? Are you a humble, gentle, loving person? If not, we need to get up and be abiding and abiding and abiding and, and seeking him and seeking him and trusting him to empower us to be what we already are. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace and mercy and love that you've poured out on us, God. Thank you for your word. God, I pray. I pray that you would do what you promised to do with your word, God. You take the verses that we've read, that you take the scripture and just use it in hearts. I pray that you take these words and, and make them clear and understandable so that those who are in you understand who they are in you and what you've called them to in you. I pray for those who who may not have a relationship with you yet, God. I pray that you would help them to see, help them to know that you are a loving God and that even though we are dead in our trespasses and sins, you have made it possible through Jesus to be forgiven and clean, to be right with you, God. I pray that they would know that and that they would seek you and seek your forgiveness and that even after we are done praying that they would talk to someone I love you God I praise you I thank you for all that we have in Christ I thank you for all that we have in Christ help us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Help us to be what you have already made us. In Christ's name, amen.